Chapter 12 of Julia Reed. This recording is in the public domain. Julia Reed by Pansy. Chapter 12. In which I find a slippery path. Our next caller was Mr. Sales. His stay was very brief. He looked flushed and tired, yet seemed nervous and unnaturally excited, declined Mrs. Tyndall's tempting cake, begged her not even to mention the name as he was perfectly surfeited, but he drank a full glass of wine, and after making arrangements to call and escort me to Mrs. Bacon's New Year's party, he pronounced New Year's calls a bore, gallantly declared this to be the only one that he had enjoyed, and took his leave. The day was on the wane, and Mrs. Tyndall had gone to her dressing-room to rest, when Dr. Douglas came in and sat himself down with a weary air. I felt very sorry to see him, and earnestly wished I had escaped to my room before he came in. I felt instinctively, during these days, that Dr. Douglas disapproved of my mode of life. Whenever I was in his presence, my conscience became uncomfortable. So, of late, I had compromised matters by avoiding him. I felt a curious sense of restraint, as if I could think of nothing to say, and yet did not feel sufficiently familiar with him to sit in absolute silence, a thing that I would have done unhesitatingly but a few weeks before. "'Have you been making calls?' I asked at last. "'Professional ones,' he answered wearily. "'I've had time for no others.' Then the silence fell again between us, until at last he broke it abruptly. "'Julia, are you going out this evening?' Yes, I said, I'm going to Mrs. Bacon's for a little while. Are you going? With Mrs. Tyndall, he asked, ignoring my question. Why, no, Mrs. Tyndall is not going. It is for young people, you know. May I ask, then, who accompanies you? I gave the answer slowly and with unaccountable reluctance. I'm going with Mr. Sales. Silence again for a few moments, then he spoke with unusual gravity. Julia? May I ask as a special favor that you will not go out with Mr. Sales this evening? Your favor comes at a late hour, I said, with the utmost stiffness. I have engaged to accompany the gentleman. Nevertheless, I repeat my petition. Offer some excuse, will you not? I am very anxious that you should, Julia. Perhaps you can furnish a reason for so strange a demand? I asked with a sharp emphasis on the last word. I can, certainly, he said gravely. Have you seen him today? I have. It must have been early, then. He has been making New Year's calls. This last was spoken in stern tones, but I answered him sharply. What of that? He waited a moment ere he answered. I presume he has been offered wine constantly. It has been a day of sore temptation to many. His voice had taken on a quieter, kinder tone, but mine was as abrupt as ever, as I asked haughtily, What does all this talk amount to, Dr. Douglas? He answered then, and looked at me steadily, ere he answered, Is it possible, Julia, that you do not understand? I mean that I do not think Mr. Sales will be in a condition to take proper care of any lady this evening. Certainly he will not, if he finishes the day as he has commenced it. There were reasons why this gave me special pain, and made me answer in a specially bitter tone. I suppose, Dr. Douglas, I can be allowed to be my own judge as to the propriety of the company I choose to keep. I certainly intend to fulfill my engagement this evening. I really do not understand why you have such a hatred of Mr. Sales, nor how you can find it in harmony with your Christian character to exhibit that hatred on every possible occasion. To this silly ebullition of wrath 
the doctor vouchsafed not the slightest response. As may be supposed, I went to my room soon after, not feeling particularly improved in spirits. I could but be conscious that I was doing wrong. In the first place there was my mother, who, I knew, was resting in the happy belief that I was under Dr. Douglas's protecting wing, and that therefore no harm should reach me. Also I felt a little afraid. Could he have meant that Dr. Sales was intoxicated? I had never in my life been closer to a drunken man than across the road, and even then I had been frightened, and more than once taken shelter in store or shop until the frightful object had disappeared around some corner. I tried to picture Mr. Sales, elegant, fastidious gentleman that he was, reeling and staggering through the streets, and, shuddering at the frightful picture that I conjured, I took refuge from my thoughts in Mrs. Tyndall's room. That lady had exchanged her elegant attire for a dainty blue flannel wrapper, and was lying on the lounge in a state of semi-exhaustion. "'I wish I had your spirits,' she said languidly. "'How fresh and bright you look, while I am nearly dead.' My dear, let that blossom droop a little over your left ear, so. Jerome will be charmed with those flowers. He is a great admirer of natural adornments. Your face is a little too much flushed. What is the matter? I heard the doctor come in. Has he been quarreling with you? I have been having a curtain lecture, I said, trying to laugh. About what, in the name of wonder? Dr. Douglas couldn't be more disagreeable if he were your grandfather. What has offended him now? He thinks Mr. Sales has been taking wine too freely to be a suitable escort, I said, bent on knowing her opinion on the matter. What utter nonsense, she said with spirit. That is really wicked in Dr. Douglas. Because he is a monomaniac himself on the wine question is no reason why he should insult gentlemen who do not happen to agree with him. But that is too apt to be the way with these extra good people. They wrap themselves up in an I-am-holier-than-thou atmosphere and stalk about the world, hitting against everybody. I hope, my dear, you didn't allow him to prejudice you against poor Jerome? Certainly not, I said loftily. I can judge for myself with whom to associate without Dr. Douglas's help. At that moment I received a summons to the effect that Mr. Sales was waiting for me. The evening at Mrs. Bacon's was a very gay one but with few exceptions the company were all quite youthful, and the excitement of the day had not tended to foster very quiet spirits within us, so we talked and laughed and danced, and performed impromptu tableaus, all with a sort of a wild glee that rather heightened than diminished as the hours waned. Occasionally I had an uneasy feeling about my escort. His eyes looked unnaturally bright, and his voice, I imagined, was not quite clear, but he was unusually quiet, and I noticed, with a thrill of satisfaction, that at the supper-table he refused wine, apologizing for doing so by saying that he had a confounded headache and must avoid stimulus, whereupon I moralized upon Dr. Douglas's uncharitableness. When at last it was decided that we must go home, and a bevy of us escaped to the cloakroom together, a fearful scene ensued. Very free use had been made of the wraps in the dressing-room for our impromptu charades and tableaus, and shawls, cloaks, hoods, and rubbers were in inextricable confusion. One rubber was not. I ransacked everywhere, and when, after what seemed an endless time, I found it rolled in shawls and tossed among the pillows, my hood was missing. Then ensued an eager search for that, and I think a full half-hour must have elapsed before I emerged from the dressing-room, 
properly cloaked, hooded, and rubbered. That fatal half-hour. Half a dozen young ladies were in the same plight with myself, and our escorts, weary of waiting, had resorted with the son of the house to the supper-room to beguile the time. I did not know this until afterward, but I knew as soon as I reached the sidewalk, before even I had said good-night to the four or five who were departing at the same time, none of whom chanced to be going in my direction, that my hand rested on the arm of a man who did not in the least know what he was about. Shall I ever forget that night? The silent, solemn moonlight, flooding a world that seemed so strangely quiet in contrast with the gay scene I had just left, the white, slippery earth, just a deceitful glare of ice, and the silly, unutterably silly face that was bent close to mine, while the sickening odor of liquor breathed on me from every one of the meaningless words that he tried to utter. The walk was long and the streets apparently deserted, and we stumbled and staggered along, once actually fell outright, and then the shame and horror and terror even of the struggle that I had to help him on his feet again, and he laughed and hiccoughed and called me Julia and was in every way disgusting. As we turned into Park Street, the walk was just a smooth glare of ice. "'We'll have to go in the road,' I said breathlessly, as I felt my companion's grasp on my arm tightening and his heavy frame swaying to and fro. "'But, but, blamed if I w will,' he stammered, let the d d darned old road c come here if it wants to be walked on. What's the use of going to it? Keep a st stiff upper lip, Julia. We'll get the b b better of the old thing somehow. And no arguments or entreaties of mine could prevail upon him to leave the icy sidewalk, which in his drunken folly he seemed to imagine was somebody trying to conquer him, and he muttered and stuttered something about not g g going to be beat by any old sidewalk that ever g g grew. Oh, the agony of that long, long walk! I never took it again, even under the brightest circumstances, without a shiver of horror over this remembrance. I thought of trying to slip away from him and flying homeward alone, but he held my arm with a vice-like grasp and added to my awful disgust. I grew every moment more afraid of him. He seemed to grow more senseless every moment, and began to utter little shrill shrieks occasionally that made my blood run cold. At the corner of Green and Regent Streets a parley ensued. His home was on Regent Street, a few doors from the corner. He seemed to have sense enough left to know that fact, and to be determined to go in that direction, dragging me with him. I pleaded and entreated, talked to him as I would to a naughty child, begged him to go home just a few steps more, just around the corner, and let me go on down Green Street alone. It was of no use. He laughed that disgustingly silly laugh of a drunken man, and declared he wouldn't give up the ship, meant to take me safe home, I needn't be afraid. I was in an agony of shame and terror. Supposing that he knew enough to recognize his own house when he reached it, how was it possible for me to appear there at the door of my employer's house long after midnight, with his drunken son grasping my arm like a madman. I pulled desperately in the opposite direction, and he as desperately pulled toward Regent Street, and then lost his balance entirely and fell heavily. I struggled then to free myself, but he grasped my cloak with both hands and uttered a fearful yell. No, I never, never shall forget it all. The terror, the shame, the absolute agony, 
nor the sound of swift coming feet, nor the voice, startled, stern even in its sound, but steady and safe and true. Just one word in which was embodied astonishment and pain. Julia! And then Dr. Douglas stood beside me, seeming in an instant to comprehend the situation. I ceased to struggle the moment I heard his voice. He took my hand and drew it firmly through his arm, that steady arm, and then fixing stern eyes on my companion, spoke to him. Let go of this lady, which command was, to my surprise, instantly obeyed. Now get up. In this, however, he had to give help. Then he glanced swiftly up and down the street and addressed me. Julia, it is very cold. It would be inhuman to leave him here. I think you will have to let me take him home. I was silent and passive, and presently we commenced our walk down Regent Street, Dr. Douglas supporting my rather trembling steps with his left arm, and steadying, indeed it seemed to me almost carrying, my drunken escort with his strong right arm. He meantime tried to give a lucid explanation of our fight, as he called it, and tried to express himself gratified that he had been the victor, but was checked by a stern, Be still, sir. Whereupon his conversation subsided into the silliest of silly whimpers, more degrading, it seemed to me, than his talk had been. Arrived at his father's door, Dr. Douglas seated him on the steps with no gentle hand, gave a jerk to the bell that sent it pealing through the house, then turned and sped with me, swiftly and silently, through the streets. Only three words were uttered during our rapid walk. Are you cold? he asked, and I shook my head. But he wrapped a shawl more closely around me, and on we rushed. Reaching the door, he applied his night key, turned on a flood of gas in the hall to light me upstairs, and said in his usual kind, grave tone, Good night. End of chapter 12 Recording by Tricia G.